Hello, Jordan. What's going on, Michael? It's been a long time coming. <laughs> it's been several months. Every time I do a Q&A, people are like, so are you and Mike done with the podcast? <laughs> Let's. I think we should start this episode out just giving a nice laundry list of excuses for why we haven't uploaded. That's a like, good idea. Like a client who hasn't really executed for two or three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that idea. Where should we start? All right. What's the the? I would say the first major excuse is laziness. Because these aren't these aren't legitimate. We no. could have done weekly episodes for the last two months. Yeah, yeah. Just laziness. I'd say is the major one. <laughs> just trying to be as as honest as possible. Um, lack of planning. Lack of planning for sure. I concur. I can, I'll put that on me. I'm the J of the group here. Living the Epicurean lifestyle. <laughs> I, maybe you have. I don't even know. <laughs> it doesn't seem like life's been more enjoyable. Uh, you well, moved out of New York. Let me, let me throw in some legitimate ones. That's that's definitely one. Uh, we finished the book. Finished the last book. week. Yep. And that was daily grinding with multiple edits and multiple renditions of back and forth, and you know, going over the the massive word document with a fine tooth microscopic comb and like just picking it apart. Terrible. That was a really terrible experience. <laughs> which which made it amazing though. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think which it made did. it amazing. <laughs> I think it did. It's hard to see the forest from the trees. When you're in the trees of uh of the editing grind, it's hard to see the the beautiful book forest. Mm. mm yeah. <laughs> all right what else we got you you had your had a lot of travel honeymoon a lot of travel mm -hmm. had my my wedding moon uh in greece and then i had my my buddy's wedding in atlanta which was a crazy experience um just out in the mountains in the mountains no, no, like, uh, no internet, no Wi-Fi, no nothing. Uh, saw the biggest spider I've ever seen in my entire life. Like legit, like the size of the actual body of the spider was like the size of my palm. Um, man. And then killed it was it. just, yeah, killed had it, to kill it. You? It was in the, it was in the, do you, do you leave bits of information like that out of content because fringe vegans wouldn't like it? <laughs> No, because I mean, we've got like an hour and I don't want to go into the whole story of like, yeah, so we were in this like teeny tiny bunk that's like the size of like a twin mattress. And then uh, in the whole story of finding the spider freaking out and then spent like 10 minutes figuring out who was going to kill it. And then looking for any relatives of the spider after we killed it to see if they were going to be crawling all over us while we were sleeping. <laughs> it was a real, it was a real conundrum that we were in. And like just friends from when we were like, eight, nine, 10 years old, just like old, 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 old friends. So it was fun. That's amazing. Um, Making new memories. I love yeah, that. And, and then went back to Boston this past weekend. So I finally done with travel, which I'm very excited about. So no, no I, more travel. I, on I, the... saw, I saw a meme recently that was something along the lines of being an adult is saying things will settle down after this week. Oh, yeah. And then just, it never happening. That, yeah, that's a big thing. Every week is like, yeah, after this week, things clear up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I saw a funny one where it was like, being an adult is where one day 
you sit, you feel a little bit more tired, and then you're just always tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've hit that level. I have hit that level. Uh, what what else? What other excuses do we have? Yeah, I I moved. I'm in Minnesota. Very happy about that. Feeling yeah, good here. Congrats, congrats. Moving into your new house soon. Thank you. That's exciting. Thank you. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I'm balancing. You know what? This is this is something we could talk about to some degree. But I'm balancing recently and have been for a few years the amount of personal information I feel like sharing anywhere online. Mm, mm. And uh, yeah, because I mean, it was everything for many years. And for many, many reasons that could be a piece of content on its own or just won't be a piece of content on its own or will be a pseudonymous piece of content under not my name um, at some point could be interesting. But yeah. What other excuses we got? I think that's it, man. I think those are that pretty much covers it. <laughs> Anything you want to jam on before we get into the, the episode? I think we just go straight in. Okay. All right, so today we're doing a QA. and uh, This Q&A is different than all of the other Q&As we've ever done because there was literally zero preparation for this Q&A other than I put up a Q&A box on my Instagram. So we're just going to scroll through and neither of us have seen any of these questions and see what, what good ones we can find. I love it. Let's dig in. If, you're, if your question gets read and rejected, do not be offended. Yeah. You, you can be offended if you want. <laughs> You can choose to be offended if you'd like. Um, Find us some fun things to talk about, Jordan. Okay. All right. Scrolling through. The Thinking Jar asked, what are good uses for BOSU balls? Like which exercises? Yeah. Like what could you use the BOSU ball for? I was going to think of like a snarky reply. I'd be like, oh, you could use it as like a, a... I don't know, like a booster seat for your child or like... Uh, we're, we're talking a half, right? Yeah, the Bosu ball is like the the half. Like it has half the half moon, moon not, the blue, not a the, Swiss ball, not a Swiss ball. No. So I mean, I think this person asked because I rag on Bosu balls a lot because I'm like, stop fucking squatting on your Bosu ball. A ton of research showing. Like, I think actually one of the biggest things about this is um, the the amount of lawsuits that and you, you just Google Google search like Bosu ball lawsuits and you'll find lawsuits for literally hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars of personal trainers having their clients on top of them and they fall off and they blow their knee out, they blow their hip, they blow their back, they hurt their shoulder, um, which is why BOSU eventually put it on their website and put it on the ball and put it in the instruction manual. Do not stand on the flat side of the BOSU ball because we're going to be sued and you're going to be sued. And I remember in like 2015, I was a, I was an expert witness in a trial for this because uh, uh, I wrote an article about it in like 2012 and this lawyer found my article basically about why you shouldn't be balancing on a BOSU ball. So I would say from a lower body perspective, it's probably you shouldn't be doing lower body work on it. I think I know a lot of people say, well, you could you could stand on the half moon side and do some ankle stability work. And I'm like, you could or you could just stand on one foot on the ground and do single leg RDLs or do different like touches to the ground without needing to stand on an unstable surface. Or really, if you want, you could um, use an Airex pad, which is a couple inches off the ground. And it's, it's, it's sort of like standing in sand, which is really good for ankle stability. 
but you don't need to be on a wobbly surface, like half a foot above the ground, potentially falling off in order to get ankle stability work. So I think for anything lower body, BOSU ball is a really stupid idea. I, I think there are... Do you, do you use them at all in your programming? No. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever programmed anything with a BOSU ball before. I, I've never, ever programmed a BOSU ball exercise, ever. Not yeah. once. So I don't... I would have to scrape the the cobwebs of my brain to think of some kind of potential usefulness uh but i'm gonna go with with zero to my knowledge yeah the only thing that i could potentially think of is it there is some research around so unstable surface training for the lower body is a very poor idea uh, especially when you're trying to get strength adaptations um unstable surface training for the upper body for your shoulder joint there actually has been a fair amount of research that it can be beneficial so i could see if you in if you wanted to in some rare circumstances having someone do a push-up on the bosu ball number they're, they're closer to the ground so if they fall it's really not a big deal um but that being said again i you go you go platform up or moon up if you were going to do that i would go platform up so like your hands on either side of the yeah but again, I still think it's pretty stupid. I mean, so that that's fair. I've programmed push-ups for shoulder stability on a medicine ball, yeah, yeah, on yeah. a foam roller. Um, but yeah, I, I just I don't imagine if I'm outfitting a gym, I don't see myself ever purchasing Bosu balls, and I've literally no. never programmed anything on a Bosu ball. So like, I'm, that's sort of me just like trying to be not dogmatic and say, well, I guess you could do this, but realistically I've, I've never programmed anything on a BOSU ball. So I just wouldn't use it. Boom. Next. Okay. Let's see. ATM Adam. This is a real question. ATM Adam said genuine question. Fart etiquette when doing heavy squats. Do you just do them or stop and do them elsewhere? When you're doing heavy squats, do you fart during the set or do you wait and do it after? Is that the question? Apparently, yeah. These are the questions I get in my Q&As. <laughs> <laughs> People think I Look, make them I'm, up. <laughs> the, the, I don't think of anything technical on this. I think of like, all right, have I been consuming a lot of leucine and like, are my, is this going to stink? And part B, who is around me and am I going to like ruin, you know, 15 day. seconds yeah. of their life if this is like rotten eggs or have I been having plenty of fiber and I'm in good shape and you know whatever uh, those are two factors uh you're heavy squatting like is it actually a fart or is there some substance there like that's definitely <laughs> something to consider yeah. um I'd err on the side of holding that in yeah Adam I think you got to trust your gut on this one but that's all I got yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't use the bottom of a heavy squat to test out a fart. <laughs> this is correct. You don't want to be in the bottom of a heavy squat and like open your butt. Like that's just a, a bad idea, like to let air out in the bottom of a squat. Um, ideally, go to the bathroom and and just check before you do that set. I've seen people poop themselves squatting. It's just not a good, it's not good. Squatting is sort of dangerous enough as is, even like if you have the pin set up, never mind like if you accidentally rip one out and then <laughs> just not good. So I would, I would wait. I would just go, go check elsewhere. Um, Love the question though. This is fun. I feel like we can, we can get through more of these 
We just have a massive supply of questions. All right, Mrs. Jazzy B. This is this is these are the questions I get in my my Q and A's. Mrs. Jazzy B said, "If you could do any Harry Potter spell in real life, what would it be?" Hmm. See, all I can think about right now is the fact that I'm I'm questioning my short and long term memory ability, and now I think I have early onset Alzheimer's because. <laughs> All I can think of is all I can think of is is the death the death wand whip uh you got an answer for this um I mean what all can you do? You can turn people into stone you can uh you can turn people into things turn people, wasn't there one where you turn keep stone. in mind keep in mind I haven't seen any. Like I've seen max twenty minutes of Harry Potter movies. I read the book, the books, and uh, and so I'm probably going to mispronounce or forget a lot of these. But what was the thing where where someone like grew gills? Oh, no, they ate something. That they, wasn't yeah. that wasn't a spell. They ate yeah, gillyweed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I I I would sort I like the idea of of uh, being able to turn into an, an animal. Mm-hmm. Right, like an animagus, you know. I think that'd be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a spell to make you fly. I know, like they have the brooms, but I never saw a spell to make you fly. If there's a spell to make you fly, I'd probably do that. I wouldn't mind getting in front of that mirror of Ariza for a day or two, just chilling down there and hanging out. Era said, "Mirror of Ariza. <laughs> Ariza is how I is how I read that one. What okay. did I say the other day? You I said Hermione. I, her, Hermione. That's how I read it for my entire childhood. <laughs> I was I wasn't standing in line at movie theaters, you know, going in there and hearing these words pronounced for me. I was battling it out, just me and the pages. I like it. All right, let's see. What That's a fun about. question, though. Um. All right, Miss Nicole Joy asked, "Do you think medication itself causes weight gain, or does it cause you to overeat, causing weight gain?" <sighs> I, I think the first question is which medication. Yeah. Yeah. But even then, and I could be wrong, I don't know of any medication that inherently causes weight gain. Uh, and, and I sh- should say inherently causes fat gain. There can be some medications that could ca- cause you to gain weight, whether it's through bloating. And again, I'm not a doctor. I have no idea. But I don't know of any medication that inherently causes fat gain. I mean, for, for someone with hyperthyroidism who who takes medication, it's going to decrease their calorie expenditure which on the same number of calories leads to weight gain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this one? Um, so, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so it sort of does limit what we can say on that with a, a re- certain level of reliability. Here's I get this question a lot specifically pertaining to depression medication. Um, that's a very, very, very common question. Does depre- depression medication cause you to gain gain weight, gain fat? Um, are, are we talking SSRIs specifically? I, I don't know. That's just the, the common okay. question that I get. Um, and again, not a doctor, but from what I've seen is that oftentimes people who struggle with depression are just, they're, they're often 
it's, it's actually very interesting. Some people, when they're struggling with depression, they won't eat at all and they lose a lot of weight. And then other people will use food as a coping mechanism and they gain a lot of weight. So I don't, I don't think it's necessarily the medication that is uh, causing weight gain through somehow synthesizing more calories or holding on to more calories. But I do think that oftentimes people who are struggling with depression will eat more, which will then cause them to gain weight. Yeah. That, that uh, anecdotally, that seems right. Yeah. Um, good question. I'm reading a super interesting book right now called Dopamine Nation. Mm. Uh, that uh, What's the author's name? What's her name? Anna Lembke, L-E-M-B-K-E. Got it. Yeah, it's 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 very good. I mean, she just she was some a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or still is practicing maybe. But she talks, she works with, and has worked with a lot of addicts, and uh, talks about basically the pain pleasure modulation in the brain and how um, in twenty twenty one all of us are addicts of some kind, and and you know. We'll use that term loosely, but the the teeter totter of the pain pleasure balance is less extreme when we're talking about something like being on your cell phone or consuming, you know, delicious processed foods. Um, but that it's hitting the same part of the brain that heroin or meth or cocaine or alcohol or any of these things that people really struggle with sex addiction it, the book actually opens up with like a somewhat graphic chapter about sex addiction so avoid if if that's not your thing but it uh super fascinating book and and the question made me think of that because she talks about um different forms of of therapy and medication being one of them mm. all right Jay Bolton 26 asked, do you make changes to your training when you're trying to be in a calorie deficit? Usually. Yeah. All else equal. Sure. Um, it, not massive changes, but usually a little bit less volume. And, uh, I'm usually, you know, it depends is the bottom line, but small changes exercise selection is largely the same frequency and I, if we're talking about me or we're talking about you or we're talking about clients we're programming for but i would just frequency, talk about talk about you talk about you specifically uh it depends if i only want to be training three days a week then i'll train high intensity meaning most sets or a lot of sets are going close to failure um if I care, if I think I can recomp during that deficit based on how my previous six months have looked, uh, it'll look a little different in that I will program the body parts that I am more interested or the movement patterns I'm more interested in strengthening. Um, yeah, my sessions are usually a little bit shorter when in a deficit compared to when in a surplus. Those are the main differences. Yeah. I mean, so for me, I think people change way too much in general. Uh, I would say it's almost identical. It's almost identical for me. The The main difference is um, when I'm in like maintenance or a surplus, I will usually have more energy, which makes sense. You're eating more, which means like I can, I can have a little bit higher volume, but also increased intensity at a higher volume. So for example, if I say like three, three sets of eight, 
I could do sets across for those three sets of eight, keep the weight the same for those three sets and like go really, really hard for those three sets. Whereas if I'm in a calorie deficit, especially four, five, six, seven, eight weeks in a little bit more tired. So rather than doing three sets at a super heavy weight, I might do a reverse pyramid or a pyramid style training where I'll have one heavy set for each exercise as opposed to three heavy sets or four heavy sets. Um, mm -hmm. So your, your volume isn't massively different, but your number of hard sets are greater in a surplus. Yeah. Which, which does affect volume just because like I'll be doing fewer sets at that, but not, not dramatically, but yeah, volume will be affected, but it's, it's really, I try to, I try to reach at least a couple of very, very intense sets per workout, um, just to maintain my strength and muscle as much as I can and, and really gain strength throughout it. That that's what I think a lot of people really they, they really overlook, um, you don't need that many sets to gain strength. I think a lot of people really like overlook, they're like, oh, you've got to do so many sets and so many reps and so much, so many exercises. You don't need that much. Uh, I think some of the best strength gains I ever made, I was doing like four to five exercises per workout and like one to two of those, of those sets to failure or like near failure. And that was really it. And then the rest is maintenance work. Um, I th yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is you, you really have to account for when you're in a deficit that you're not going to have as much energy. And, and that's really the biggest factor you have to take into consideration because you can still build muscle in a deficit. It's just significantly harder. And if you're not going to have as much energy, then why are you going to try and destroy yourself, which is probably going to cause you to end up getting hungrier and then make it harder to stay in the deficit. It's like just the, the main thing you need to keep track of is how your energy is and then reduce the total intensity and volume to, to account for that. Good answer. I, I actually, I said something that I'm going to go back on in a four minute window, which is that exercise selection doesn't vary much. I realized as you were talking that I pro I tend to program more exercises that I enjoy when I'm in a deficit mm. because it sucks. Like yeah. training in a deficit for an extended period of time is not enjoyable. Even if you, you know, kind of meal time properly and time your caffeine and, and try and make that your, your most energetic period of the day, it's still not nearly as enjoyable as training with extra food. So I'm avoiding certain exercises that I really don't like and hitting those same movement patterns with exercises that I enjoy more. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right. This person has asked this question so many times and I never answer it. Um, but why haven't you answered it? It's it. I actually don't, I don't want to answer this question. So I'm going to stick it on Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we can answer. It's, it's not like a controversial thing. Um, it's sort of like I'm in between on it. Um, it's an overrated, underrated question. Carms two, five, two asked are planks overrated or underrated? Um, and part of me feels like planks are massively overrated and part of me feels like planks are massively underrated. Um, then I think properly rated. Yeah. 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 I guess we could go with properly rated, except the biggest issue is I see so many people just butchering the technique, just doing awful planks. They're like, Oh, I'm really good at planks. I can do it for 10 minutes straight. It's like, no, you can't like, that's a shit plank. If you're doing a really good plank, 30 seconds is really difficult. Um, so I think they're good. I think planks are really good for beginners 
and new intermediate lifters. I think they're really good for people who might have back pain, uh, people who, um, who really need to learn how to use their core, who need to learn how to use their abs properly to make sure that their back isn't taking the load. But as someone gets to be a better lifter and they're pain free and they're stronger, I think that's when they start to be overrated and you start, you need to start in the same way, like, um, a static lunge, right? A static lunge. It's a great exercise. It's a really, really good exercise. Uh, I probably wouldn't give a static lunge to a more advanced lifter though. I would probably like start having them doing more dynamic exercises, walking forward lunges, Bulgarian split squats, lateral lunges, things that challenge them outside of just that one plane of motion. And I think the thing about planks is they're very good at helping someone teach how to use their core and their abs properly. But once you reach a certain point, it's like, all right, it's enough, enough isometric hold. Let's get you moving. Let's get you doing some dynamic movement. Let's actually take you outside of just holding this position for 30 seconds and, and maybe adding in, like, if you want to add a, like a, a, a reach with your arm while you're doing a plank, fine. If you want to add a single leg plank, if you want to do uh, more of a, essentially a dynamic plank, which you could call like a bear crawl where you're actually moving while maintaining the plank position. I think these are all probably better options for more advanced lifters than just the standard plank. Great answer. Add body saw to that list. I like that one. Yeah, yeah, body saw is a great one. Um, okay, this is a good one. Tom O'Connor, nineteen ninety eight. Man, that's crazy to see people. You know, people born in two thousand are twenty one years old. That's We're crazy. old, brother. We're old. What's one thing you never want to see a client do in regards to their health? Uh, smoking cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I mean, they're just too addictive and, uh, you know, there's a subset of people who like can maybe I smoke when I'm drunk kind of thing and that's probably fine. But <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, ne I'm never my, the classic answer that most people kind of in the fitness space, not even trainers or people who make content or influencers or whatever, but, uh, in fitness enthusiasts would be like, don't eat this food or like, don't do this exercise. could probably think of some, some never do exercises that make sense. But yeah, for your health, like the number one thing not to do is pick up smoking. Yeah, shit. I think that's a good one. Uh, I remember when I lived in Israel for one year after high school and I ha had a couple roommates, um, who are actually, they, they lived in the Boston area as well. When we came back from Israel after that year, I was working at the gym that I worked at all through high school. And they were like, Hey, like, could we come work out with you? I was like, yeah, sure. And these two kids, you, I think, oh no, did you meet Mike Sanyoff? Did you meet, meet him? I don't think you met, I told you about him. He's one of the funniest kids I've ever met. Um, okay. Him and my buddy, Sam, they both picked up smoking cigarettes while we were in Israel. And like Sam picked it up like bad. Like he, he got, he got, he's straight up addicted to smoking cigarettes. Uh, and I remember asking him when we were in Israel, I was like, man, like what, like I, I wanted to understand what the addiction feeling felt like. And he actually said something that was, we were 18 years old. I'll never forget it. He was like, it feels like there's a hole in my chest that the only way to fill that hole is through smoking. He is like, he's like the only way to just fill this like, this hole in my chest, this empty hole is through smoking a cigarette. I was like, damn, that's sort of poetic in a weird way, but also like really bad. Um, it's heavy. Yeah. 
And I'll never forget, they came to work out with me and I put them through a workout and they were like, <laughs> like hacking up, coughing, just going crazy. And then as soon as the workout was over, they went outside and they smoked a cigarette. And I was like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> Literally on the steps of the gym. I was like, guys, get at it. I think they both quit since then. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was sort of thinking, uh, I was trying to think outside the box on this one. I was going to say like not wearing a seatbelt when you're riding in a car is like just so stupid. Um, yeah. 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 It, it's definitely not the cliche answer of, you know, don't eat this food or whatever. It's like, um, yeah, I, I think it would be more something that's just behavioral that you can control as opposed to uh, necessarily nutritional or something. Yeah. And, and you can also give advice that might not be that useful. Like if you think of, I think wear a seatbelt, wear a helmet on a motorcycle. Oh yeah. You yeah. Know, don't smoke. Don't like, uh, yeah. Just like taking reasons why people die young for a stupid, mm -hmm. like it's funny when I, I always wear my helmet when I'm riding my bike or when I'm, when I'm rollerblading and, and I'll put it on my stories and the number of messages I get from nurses or, or ER doctors who are like, you wouldn't believe how many people we see like literally die on a daily basis because they weren't wearing a helmet or it, it's crazy. It's just, it's, I think that's uh it's an overlooked thing. And, and same thing with like, with a seatbelt. I think it's one of the things we take for granted that, uh, it's funny. I see a lot of people who, who are really worried about getting on a plane and they see me go on a plane. They're like, oh my God, I'm so worried. I'm like, you drive in a car every day. You're way more likely to die driving in a car than you are for a plane to crash, but you get in a car, no problem. People are worried about shark attacks. I Googled this the other day with my wife. We're wondering how many people in the US are killed by sharks every year? Dude, it's, it's two, two people a year. That's it. That's it. That's it. In the US, two people a year. And then I was like, well, I wonder how many alligators. I think it's several hundred people are killed by alligators every year in the US. But two shark attacks a year, two people are wow. killed by shark. You might get attacked and then maybe not die, but like two people die from shark attacks a year in the United States. I think it's like less than 20 total shark attacks a year. But everyone's like petrified of going in the ocean about being attacked by a shark. Meanwhile, they're driving in the car and like they're not worried about it at all. And they're not wearing a seatbelt. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jamil underscore Davis asked, why is being certified overrated for a personal trainer? I think we, I think we hit this one in depth, depth, depth in the first ever episode of this podcast. Mm. It's either the first or second episode of this podcast. That's true. Uh, I, I think, I think it's overrated because there are other ways that are I think it's overrated because the primary reason that so many coaches get multiple certifications is to appear, uh, you know, it's, it's filling that, uh, that imposter syndrome. It's, it's not often it is with the intent of learning something like getting a specific cert because they want to learn about something. But more often I have noticed it's for the ability to appear qualified and put some letters in your bio. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I also think it's overrated because there's, you got to think about the opportunity cost of the time spent, you know, either studying and testing or attending the certification. Um, and the things that you could be doing, the self education or the other things that you could be doing during that time. Uh, and, and lastly, I think it's probably overrated. I mean, it's, 
It's definitely, it's probably overrated for the reasons I just mentioned. It's definitely overrated from a business perspective because your clients don't care what your letters are. Correct. Yeah. I agree completely. Um, I, I think so many certifications that I've seen are just, I'll never forget. Um, and he might actually be, be listening to this, a bell. Um, my man, every time we publish a podcast, a bell will message me like, Oh man, great podcast. I love that kid. Um, a bell was taking a certification and he showed me some of the books that, that like some of the things that they were writing in the certification and they were just completely wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, and then I gave a bell a list of books to read and he read those books. He's like, man, these helped so much. Uh, just something simple, like starting strength or practical programming, simple stuff like that, that I, I really think the majority of, of certifications, not all, but the majority are just not good there. And I think some of them have gotten better over the years. I'll say one that I, that I actually, I do like a lot is precision nutrition. I think they've done a phenomenal job and they've stayed with the times and I've watched precision nutrition change their mind on certain things over the years, which I respect a lot. Um, because it means that they're, they're not just stay, saying what they said in the early two thousands and staying with it. Like they're updating it and they're staying with the times and the research. I see a lot of a lot of certifications is just, they never change sort of like with professors that are tenured in college. They'll just say that, give the same exact lesson plans that they gave for 30 years, as opposed to actually changing with the times and staying up to date with research. Cause it's easier that way. Um, so there are some good ones, but I think the vast majority are, are significantly overrated and you can get all of that education for free. If you want just on Google and through following the right people and reading, reading great books and articles. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I remember intentionally getting a answer wrong back in whatever, 20, 2012, 2013 on my NSCA exam because yeah. I knew what they wanted, even though I was like, that's not really right, but okay, here you go. <laughs> you just tell the way the question was formatted and what the four choices were. Yeah, they, that they, yeah. Um, all right. R. Will 9 asked, is it harder for women to lose weight than men? Start us out, Jordan. Um, I'm going to say, <clears throat> I've always gotten kicked back for this. Um, I guess we have to define harder. Um, he, there are a, a bunch of things we have to take into consideration. Uh, I think women, women's weight fluctuates considerably more than, than men's do because of the hormonal cycle. And that can give off the impression that it's harder to lose weight because your weight will fluctuate more, which is why I'm so gung-ho about, uh, where does gung-ho come from? I always, I've always said it, but I never knew where, where did gung-ho, I'm going to have to Google that. Uh, I'm very gung-ho about tracking your weight and your consistency over time, because when you track it month to month, you'll see what your trend is. And oftentimes women are surprised that they're actually losing at a much more consistent rate than they thought they were. And they'll think that, that they're losing so slow because they're a woman. It's like, no, it's not because you're, you're not losing weight slowly. You're actually like, your trend is perfect. You're losing an average of a pound and a half a week, which is amazing. It's just, you're seeing bigger fluctuations. So there's no question that women have a bigger fluctuation pattern than men. Uh, but in terms of, is it harder to actually lose, lose fat? No, I would, I would say it's equally difficult. The, the other thing that you have to take into consideration, and this is more just like large scale data. Generally women are smaller than men. Um, not always. I'm a small dude. I'm five foot four, about 145 pounds. So it's not easier for me to lose weight 
relative to a woman who's the same size as me. It's like, it's, we'll lose weight at probably like the exact same rate of weight loss. Um, my calories might be slightly higher because I have probably more muscle mass than most women my size. But really what you take into consideration is your height and your weight and your body composition, not your gender, right? The, the, your, your gender doesn't necessarily impact it as much as what's your height, what's your weight, and what's your body composition. That's the, the greatest determinant of, of what your weight loss is going to be like and how consistent you are with your calories and, and how, how steep your calorie deficit is. But your, your total calorie consumption and what you're, allowed, what you're able to eat while still losing fat is not dictated by your gender as much as dictated by your, your size and body composition. Yeah. Completely agree. And and good job narrowing the question down to to mean what I think it was Will intended, uh, which was, is it easier for for men or women to lose fat? Um, and, and, you know, removing the short-term scale weight fluctuations that are, are not at all correlated with actual fat loss. Mm. Uh, kind of a caveat, doesn't it feel kind of silly that we still have to constantly like clarify when we make these statements about big populations on average yeah that like in in our mind there are still going to be kind of that quote-unquote reply guy who's like well actually uh there are some women who are bigger than men okay we, we all know <laughs> like, <laughs> dude it, it's everything when i when i say things like uh like no one got fat from eating fruit. There's always someone who's like, well, actually, I know someone who got really fat from eating fruit. I'm like, do you really? Really? <laughs> or, or it's like, I'm like, listen, don't be afraid of eating fruit. There's always someone who's like, well, uh, diabetics do have to worry about it. I'm like, I'm not fucking talking to diabetics. <laughs> like, there's always someone who's going to like say yeah. something. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But no, you make a great point. On average, for like a similar size, we'll say a, a man versus a woman who's the same height, the man's going to have slightly more lean tissue, which is going to lead to a, a slightly higher uh, BMR, is also going to lead to higher, something we've discussed before, having more lean tissue leads to a higher calorie expenditure, not just because you have a slightly higher BMR, but because you do more with that lean tissue lift a little more weight with more muscle, probably more active on average. Uh, someone who has more muscle compared to someone who has a little bit less muscle, which leads to higher calorie expenditure. So maybe marginally faster progress for the man. But like you just said, um, you can expect similar progress. However, the person with a little bit less lean mass is going to have a slightly lower maintenance calorie and, and therefore the the person with more lean mass can eat a little bit more food. Yeah. It's always uh, one of the things that women will say is, oh, it's so much easier for men. My husband lost like 15 pounds in a month. And I'm like, all right, well, how big is your husband? And they're like, well, he's six foot five and 285 pounds. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course, because he's huge. And like, because maybe he was having like it, whatever like, it doesn't take a lot for a person of that size to lose a lot of weight very quickly it's not that it's he's a man he's just he's a fucking huge dude of course he's going to lose that weight quickly phenomenal point you got to look at uh amount of weight loss as a percentage of body weight of total body weight not absolute weight loss in pounds Correct. When you compare someone who's 150 pounds who lost 5 pounds compared to someone who's 250 pounds who lost 5 pounds that isn't the same five pounds. And so Correct. the fact that one person did it in a week and it took the other person a month, it's you're not playing the same game. Yeah. 
Um, okay, Dak Molly said kettlebell swings, yay or nay? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say it, it depends, right? Like everything. But if your goal is to, uh, I don't know, if your goal is to get bigger muscles, like for muscle hypertrophy, I wouldn't put kettlebell swings in the program. Like kettlebell swings would not be my like, oh, okay, you want to get real big? Kettlebell swings. I think that's a stupid idea. But if your goal is, uh, I don't know whether it's improve overall conditioning, whether it's to improve just general overall strength and performance, to improve your explosive speed and power, yeah, absolutely, I'll put kettlebell swings in there. Um, but I'm, I'm not putting them in there for for, phys- for physique enhancement. It, it's more of a, a physique or a performance standard as opposed to a physique enhancement. And I'll also say... Um, I'm not starting with kettlebell swings. I, I, like the first thing I'm going to have you do is a kettlebell deadlift, right? And I, I see a lot of people. You don't, a A one kettlebell swing three by five R I R zero. Oh, no, 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 just I, give it hell. <laughs> I'll I'll put kettlebell swings at the beginning of a program sometimes, but I mean like when I'm teaching someone kettlebell swings, mm. like I, I get a new client on day one, I'm not going to be like, all right, pick up the 16 kilogram, we're going to go kettlebell swing. It's like nope. Absolutely. That's a terrible idea. You're going to start off with kettlebell deadlifts and goblet squats and just like look at your movement and then slowly teach them how to kettlebell swing. I see people going in on day one. They're like, all right, we're going to kettlebell snatch. I'm like, you're an idiot. That's what are you doing? Um, yeah. They so. may have learned that movement at the the certification over the weekend and came in Monday yeah. ready to teach the kettlebell snatch. That's exactly right. Have them doing the five minute snatch test with the person on day one. Um, let's see. I'm not only feeling this format, I'm also feeling the moving around during the podcast. You like it? Yeah. yeah. Blauberg78 says, do you have any advice for a starting personal trainer? Yeah, Blauberg. Uh, <laughs> Probably join the mentorship. As well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, before you do that, watch episodes one through today of this podcast where there's a, a wealth of valuable information. I think prioritize getting experience with clients and trying to help people make progress, whether they're paying you or it's online for free or it's in person for free or you're you're learning, you're reading something, whatever it is, put at the top of your like work value hierarchy the fact that you want to help people with their goals and don't pay attention to other metrics for like at least two years, right? Because so many people who want to get into personal training see their favorite Instagram trainer and and whether they want accolades or they want to work from the beach with their computer out, which doesn't actually work because as we know, the glare of the sun on the computer screen allows it to, or doesn't let you see it. Uh, yeah. Prior, do your best to help people and don't pay attention to anything else and keep your head down and your blinders on. I like that. The cheerful Coco something asked, how do you calorie track a charcuterie? Can, can you just skip tracking days you indulge more? <laughs> Depends on what your goals are and what your expectations are. You can definitely just eat the charcuterie and uh, and not track for the day. But but then. 
when the scale's up the next day or when five days later you haven't lost weight, understand that I, and I'm not an expert at charcuterie, but I see like salami. <laughs> I see like, fa- like those like fatty processed meats. I see some chocolate, maybe some grapes, some a lot like, of cheese, some aged cheese. Yeah. yeah. Like just, just realize you're putting down, you know, a hundred grams of fat pretty easily. And, and maybe like 1500 to 2000 calories and, and that'll show up on the scale. And, uh, and maybe that's worth it because a lot of those foods are delicious to a lot of people. I just, (laughs) I've never been, I've never been asked that question before. And, uh, I thought that was just like, I've never had anyone ask me, how do you track a charcuterie? And there's something about that word that was like, oh man, that'd just be a funny word to put into a stand up comedy skit. But it's also making me wonder like, uh, how many charcuteries are you eating? (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like how often are you just putting out a whole big charcuterie spread, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I look, the how to track it is it's you got to be a little bit more meticulous. I wouldn't pick from the charcuterie board. I would grab what you want to grab, put it on a plate and uh and make your estimates based on that. It's like, all right, we got 2 ounces of salami here. We got uh you know, 15 grapes. We got uh, looks like about 3 ounces of cheese. Yeah, and and track each item individually, give it your best guess and then forget about it and move on and don't worry about if you were perfect or you got the calories exactly right. Just that's my advice. All right. Here's one. Daniel I3837, you might not want to answer this one, said, does eating cold pasta make it not a refined carb? You're, you know what, Daniel? I love a good uh, cold pasta, a little pasta salad. I I wouldn't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't worry of all, about of that. Of all the things to worry about, I no the the temperature of the post cooked carbohydrate at which you consume it does not impact its status, especially on the refined, unrefined axis. Well said. All right, Laurier eighteen twenty nine asked: Is body weight body weight strength training just as effective as lifting weights? No. <laughs> <laughs> it it depends. It depends what you want to accomplish. It depends what your goals are, and it depends on uh, how new or advanced you are to strength training. And it depends on which body weight exercises you're talking about, because there are some very challenging body weight exercises like a pull up or a chin up, um, uh, or even like a pike push up or handstand type work. Uh, and then there are easier, you know, like a body weight squat is a, is a little bit more of a basic body weight exercise. But, uh, if your goal is muscle gain, um, or st- if your goal is muscle gain, having weights is going to help relative to simply training body weight. And if your goal is strength and you're very new to strength training, then you can, you can probably make just as good a progress with body weight alone for a period of time. But eventually you'll, you'll hit a ceiling or just be limited to too few exercises that having weights is going to make it easier to gain more strength. Yeah. Um, I agree completely. I think 
what a lot of people miss with this type of a question is it's entirely goal dependent. It's a one, it's a 100% goal dependent question or answer. Um, like you said, if your goal is to build muscle, no, body weight training, body weight training is nowhere near as good as lifting with weights. You can use some body weight exercises in a program to build muscle, but if your goal is muscle gain to build bigger muscles, then you're going to need a majority of exercises that you can externally load with heavier and progressively heavier weight. Um, if your goal is specifically to um, do something with your body weight, whether it's a chin up or with a handstand or with like a planche push up, a push up with no legs, uh, a lot of like gymnastic style movements, then yeah, body weight training is is probably more effective than with weights because it's what what a lot of people don't realize is strength is a skill. Right. So whatever movement you're developing strength in, that is a skill in and of itself. Right. It's like you could have someone who's able to squat a thousand pounds with a barbell, but that doesn't mean they're going to be able to do a pistol squat on one leg. Right. And it's not because they're not strong. It's because they haven't developed the skill necessary or the strength necessary for that specific skill. Um, and that's what's important to remember. Strength is skill dependent. So it depends on what your what your goal is and what skill you're trying to improve. If you're trying to improve your, your chin-ups or your one-arm chin-ups or your push-ups, one-arm push-ups, pistol squats, um, whatever, then body weight training is fine. But if you have a, a, a otherwise performance-based goal or muscle gain goal, then you're gonna need you're gonna need external load. It's not, it's not the same. And it's funny, I was talking to my buddy Ben Bruno about this. Um, actually this morning we were talking and, and he made a joke. He was like, effective strength training is just doing the same 10 to 15 exercises over and over again until you die. And even if you have a, a gym full of equipment and full of different apparatuses and machines and stuff, it can get repetitive and sort of boring sometimes just because the effective exercises that you're going to be using are you're limited. You're, if you're doing something really stupid, it, like something that might look cool. Ben made a really funny example. He he. Ben called me this morning. He was like, listen, I don't make this type of content, so I'm not going to say this, but I thought you might want to say this. Um, so credit goes to him. But he was like, uh, he was saying, he was telling me how um, he was trying to explain to his friends why you're not supposed to do a new workout every single time you go to a workout, why like you should just do like almost more or less repetitive exercises on a consistent basis. And he was like, listen, think of it like this. Um, you know, when you're younger and you're like just getting into sex, uh, you might see like all these different sex positions or you see these books, like 101 different sex positions to try. You're like, oh, wow, that's so cool. Da, da, da. But like you try it and it's like, that's not fun. And like, that's actually really uncomfortable. And like, it doesn't even feel good. And like, I'm, it's just, it's not good. Like there are like probably four or five positions that you'll use consistently for your whole life. And that's it. And that's what you're going to do because all the other like crazy ones that you see in magazines and in these books are like, they're not actually, they're not fun and they're not practical. Or it's like hearing about, oh, cool. Like you're going to go like, oh, let's like join the mile high club, have sex in the whole, uh, the, the airplane bathroom. Like, no, no, thanks. Like that's sort of gross. Like it smells like shit. There's turbulence. We're falling all over the place. This isn't enjoyable at all. It's like, it might look cool on an Instagram post, but like, it's not actually effective and it's probably not going to be fun. Same thing with a lot People of these. People have sex in airplanes so they can post it on Instagram. No, I'm, I'm going into the next, oh. uh, the next, uh, 
example where it's like you see people ah, posting see, these see, exercises on Instagram that are like they look crazy and cool or they're like standing on a BOSU ball or they put the barbell in between these TRX straps and like it's like dude you've clearly never coached many people in person because just the setup for this exercise probably took you 15 <laughs> minutes right it's like uh-huh. and uh and I think that's I don't even know where I started with this but like the oh what I was going to say is it can be boring enough just doing effective strength training with a ton of equipment. Effective strength training with your body weight is like probably the most boring and the most repetitive and redundant type of training in the world. Body weight training is if you watch people who are masters of body weight and gymnasts, they do the same thing over and over and over. And it's just a lot of isometric holds and a lot of just, it's just their body weight, which if your goal is not to be an elite level gymnast, your goal is just to be healthy and fit and enjoy life and and feel good. You're probably going to want a little bit more variety in your training than just that. It's a good analogy. I think, you know, a lot of people learn well from analogies. (laughs) I agree. That's good. I think uh, we'll call it there. No, no, keep it coming. No, keep it coming. Dude, I have a podcast in nine minutes. It's nine minutes of value. Bro, I already quit out of my Instagram. I want one big finale question. One big finale question. What's your opinion on cold showers, Nectarios all? Nick, I'm so glad you asked this because (laughs) in, (laughs) I'm dead serious. I know, I knew you'd like that one. In the... (laughs) I I hate cold showers for me personally. I really, really don't like the feeling. I, you know, the, I've tried all the techniques of like gradually go from hot to cold, just go straight to cold. Uh, it, it's very, very uncomfortable. Um, they're uh, based on all evidence I've seen cold therapy or cold showers are not effective for stimulating more fat loss or leading to faster fat loss or whatever certain people may claim. In this book, Dopamine Nation, that I read yesterday, this is going to blow your mind, Jordan. I wish I had all of the stats in front of me because giving the context would make it um, even more impressive. But if you think of the, if you think of the pleasure, pleasure pain balance in your brain, there's a strategy for because your 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 evolution always wants to go to homeostasis. You don't want to get too high, you don't want to get too low. Like, and and so there's a strategy for people who are quote unquote in pain. Um, rather than do something like watch porn or eat a donut or like do something dopaminergic that is going to make you feel better in that instant. There's a strategy where you lean into the pain. And so there's, she gives a lot of examples of various strategies where by doing something, I think skydiving or like extreme sports is one example, uh, but by doing something quote unquote painful in the hours thereafter, you experience pleasure. Like you, you tip back mm. and a, I don't remember the length of like a, like a five to 10 minute cold plunge leads to a 500% increase in dopamine in the like two to three hours thereafter. That's crazy. It's insane. Holy shit. And it lasts for two to three hours? I don't, I mean, I, I would imagine it peaks at some point in there and then starts to come back down, but you're, you're dealing with an elevated dopamine state for hours after 
uh, uh, I think it was a five. It was between five and 10 minutes of a cold plunge, which you could get, I don't know the difference between a, a full body cold plunge immersion compared to just a cold shower. But for that reason alone, I'm a fan. Now I can see why so many people are like cult-like about them. You say anything bad about a, a cold shower on Instagram and people come at you and you're like, are you sure they're the best thing in the world? And it just have like these massive dopamine rushes. They're like, ah, I feel amazing. <laughs> Don't talk badly about that. <laughs> I mean, she, she told the story of, of this cocaine addict, this guy, I think his name was Mike actually, who, uh, <laughs> who basically loved cocaine and did <laughs> massive amounts of cocaine for it, through his 20s had a successful job like balanced it told himself like i can use this recreationally i really like it i'm going to got married had kids and was abusing cocaine very bad to the point where his wife said you know either either we address this addiction you address this addiction or i'm leaving you and his marriage was on the line and this dude uh says uh, the punchline is that every single day for the last 3 years He's been doing two cold plunges a day. Wow. And he hasn't touched cocaine and hasn't done like anything and his marriage is great and yada, yada, yada. But that's incredible. Yeah. Cold therapy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I have nothing to add after that. <laughs> <laughs> I know they're, they're super uncomfortable. Um, but well, I mean, you and I did, did the one minute plunge at oh, the, that was awful at the gym in New York. And yeah, it's really hard. Maybe maybe I'll do like a 30-day YouTube thing where I do a, a cold shower every day and document it and see how I feel. You might actually really benefit from it because people – there have been people who like swapped out coffee for a cold shower in the morning mm. and claimed that they got the same benefit. Interesting. Which is interesting. I know you were talking about doing a coffee YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talk a lot about YouTubes nowadays and I just don't do them. <laughs> I don't even talk about them. <laughs> Uh, all right. I got a podcast in less than four minutes, so I got to hop off, but this is good. This is good. We'll be back. We're not going to promise how often, but, uh, I would, Im I would imagine <laughs> three to five years of weekly episodes is very possible. <laughs> it's very possible. All right. Well, so we'll see you back here next week. Everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye.